Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to 13. Matthew 26, 6 to 13. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It is interesting that we really don't know who this woman was. There's much debate about it. There are a couple of parallel passages, one being in, in John, this, a similar story takes place uh, in which Mary is identified as the beloved friend of Jesus. But in this particular story, which is at a different place, uh, this woman is not identified. But the act is clearly recognized by Jesus as something that was unusual. Now, I'm sure that I am not the only one, perhaps I am, who has ever heard the phrase, what were you thinking? Or has ever heard the phrase, are you out of your mind? This morning, we're going to talk about that. See, the biggest battle of the church today in this world is is the battle of the mind in regards to what world or kingdom we follow. The story of scripture today was uh, an example that teaches us something about the unusual nature of God's kingdom, of how he sees different things, sees things differently. I know I've referred to it before, but Crable's uh, book, The Upside Down Kingdom, was really an eye-opener for me. Up until that point in college, I had never quite realized the nature of how we just grow up and accept things kind of from the perspective that we have and that God maybe intended us to view things from a different perspective and to view things differently. And so this... This woman, to the disciples, had to be out of her mind. And Jesus, why would you let her do this and waste this expensive perfume? Well, we're going to look at a few scriptures today that help make some sense of this crazy act, this extravagant act, this act that made no sense. The reality is, that even though it wasn't the way they, 
the disciples thought things should be done. It wasn't the efficient way. It wasn't the easiest way. It was not the cheapest way. It was a waste. And yet, in any, the alabaster box, this alabaster container for the perfume, and having it all poured out, and it makes a note of that in the story, was a symbol of God's receiving our best and our all. And that is something that is important. Our best and our all. Our best thinking, our best ideas, our, our best faithfulness in being obedient. And it makes us, causes us to shift our thinking. Another example of that would be from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus shocks everyone. And here's what, how he shocks everyone in the hearing of the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Was he out of his mind when he said, do not be angry? When he said, bless those who persecute you, are you crazy? What are you saying, Jesus? This makes no sense. How do we do that? Was, what was he thinking when he said, if forced to go one mile with someone, go two miles? What was he thinking when he said, love your enemies? What was he thinking when he said, do not make a public show of praying or giving to the needy? Well, how crazy could he be to say, forgive those who sin against you? Or to not store up treasures? Or to tell people to not worry about the day-to-day -day things? To not judge and to get the plank out of your own eye? What does that mean? To be on guard. And he told them to hang with the trees that bear good fruit and to not build on sand. That's a summary of what a crazy sermon he delivered in his very first public sermon. What was he thinking? He was thinking the things of God. He was turning things upside down because we get so accustomed to having our views and our ideas and our thoughts and we settle in on them and say, well, this is the right view. This is the the only view there is, and on all kinds of things. And instead of filtering it through Scripture, we filter it through our own self-made logic. And when we do that, we end up with a conclusion, and then we turn around and we go and we find Scriptures that will make our logic make sense. And really what we're called to do in scripture is to get out of our minds and into the mind of God. And so let's look at a passage. Oh, I did mention this. And this is really important to note. At the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, you have these words in Matthew 7, 28, 29. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, these crazy wild things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, if that is not 
a, a slap in the face. It's, it's honest. It's clearly saying they recognized him as an authority and he didn't teach with the, the superficiality and the hypocrisy of many of the teachers of the law. I think that's significant. But let's look at another passage in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 24. Paul says, and this, this was a theme for Paul. This thing of getting out of your mind and into the mind of God was a major, major theme for, for Paul's writing. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So it was important to Paul. It was something important enough to say, I'm going to insist on this, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the what futility of their thinking. The thinking was not real clear. They were not processing with God in mind. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, Paul's reminding them, here's what you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To put on the new self, being renewed by the attitude of your minds. Someone hadn't gotten the memo. Out of your minds is the only way you're able to then get into the mind of God. Let me tell you a story about conversion. But the problem was there wasn't transformation of the mind. Uh, Bob George says this in his book called Growing in Grace. Tells the story, he says, when you first met J.E., you could tell he was a very angry man. In fact, at age 54, he had been an angry person for many years. In a Bible study that night, many questions had been raised in his mind. And talking with the leader afterward, J.E. said, I asked Jesus to be my savior when I was nine years old, but nobody ever taught me about who I am in Christ, that I'm accepted by God or that Christ lives in me. What were you taught, the Bible study leader asked. J.E. said, where I grew up, we heard all the time about how perfect Christ was and about how we should learn to live like him. And if we didn't, God would judge us. He went on to say, it didn't take long, I'd say about in my teen years, to figure out that I was never going to cut it. So I gave up trying. I guess I've been living in guilt and running from God ever since. Off and on through the years, I tried to go back to church, but I just got more guilt piled on top of me. 
I've sat under so many teachers who made me fearful that I was afraid to turn in any direction because God was going to get me. This is the first Bible study I've ever attended that gave me any hope. At that point, J.E. was 54 years old. That means that even though he had been born again through trusting Jesus at a young age, he had spent at least 35 years running from God. Thousands of people who sincerely responded to the gospel message that were taught spent year, spend years thrashing around trying to make it worth work, but without success. And the whole point of it was that they didn't have someone to walk with them and help them understand what it means to have the mind of Christ, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, to take those steps of truly not just hearing about forgiveness, but receiving forgiveness, to put themselves in relationships where it doesn't always go well. In fact, we hurt each other, we bump against each other, we don't agree with each other, and we keep having challenges all the time. And yet, because of who we are in Christ, we don't give up and we keep working at it. Nobody ever walked him through what it meant to be shaped into God's likeness and to discipline our minds to think in the ways that God thinks and to think in the ways that were taught in Scripture, and to think in the ways that Jesus demonstrated. And, and, and that process of discipleship was not there for J.E. Finally, finally, he gets into a group where he felt the acceptance and the freedom, where he understood that there was something more that he just had never quite been shown the way of, and, and the identity of who he is in Christ as a person restored from sin. Colossians 3, 1 to 10, has a subheading, living as those made alive in Christ. And so if we die to self, if we don't depend on our own logic and our own thinking, we then make the transition to be available to live and to become alive in Christ and to think Christ's thoughts. Here Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now here, listen to this. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now here's Paul reminds the Colossian church. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have 
taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of the creator. Here again, we have this new self, new mind, new thinking, new understanding, only possible when we die to the old self and we die to the ways that we so try to control everything around us. And in the midst of that control, we end up beginning to believe that our logic is the best logic. Our views are the best views. And we end up depending on that rather than on God. Paul goes on in that Colossians 3 passage to say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let me just tell you something. Those are swear words in today's culture. Those are nasty, terrible, religious, gobbledygook terms that don't ever get a person ahead in life. That's our culture. That's what our culture says. Why would anyone have compassion or kindness? Why would anyone humble themselves? Why would anybody be gentle or patient? Or as Paul goes on to say, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, why? Our culture says no. The, the mind of this world says absolutely not. Don't go that way because you'll lose. You'll lose. Jesus lost. But he was victorious. And so will we be as we take on the mind of Christ. And he goes, Paul goes on to say, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then he lists a few examples through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then in verse 17, we have our verse. Now you say, okay, how many times are you preachers going to keep referring to this passage? As many times as it takes, folks. That's the answer. But verse 17 is our verse, congregational verse for the year. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if you want to get into the mind of God, do everything. And that makes, again, it makes no sense to this world to do absolutely everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, in word or in deed, giving thanks in, at every turn to God the Father through him. R.K. Hughes said in his book and, and commentary on Ephesians, The Mystery of the Body of Christ, he said this, spiritually putting on the new self means leaving 
the old self behind. Between the old and the new self, there is a clear difference. There are clear differences. The old is self-centered and futile. The new is Christ-centered and purposeful. The old is ignorant of God's truth. The new knows and understands it. The old is morally and spiritually calloused and shameless. The new is sensitive to sin of every sort. Finally, the old is depraved in its thinking and the new is renewed. From Christ, the Ephesian Christians and every true believer is infused with the very antithesis to the downward spiral of the world plunging recklessly after its sin. Instead of hardness and darkness and deadness and recklessness, tenderness and light and life and an abandonment to the upward spiral. Stepping into the mind of God is saying no to the mind of this world. Because ultimately, as we grieve those who go before us, and as we know that one day we will all go and pass from this world, we know that there is a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven that is beyond this world's imagination. And we're called to live that kingdom here and now, to live in the victory we know we'll have. We know that we'll be raised and, and we will see the Lord face to face as we hold to him. But until that day, we're called to bring the kingdom here and to shine that light here and to be that, that hope in a world that needs it more than anything. And so we're called to put on the new self. And that begins with accepting the truth that is in Jesus. And it continues as we, we don't just put off the old self once. It's daily. Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And his call to the disciples was a call to regularly deny self, die to self that they might live through Christ. And so it's putting off that old self daily and it's putting on the new self daily. It's applying the truth in the new mind and practicing things like, think about this, doing the unthinkable. Why would you ever pay for somebody else's meal? Why would you ever decide to back up and hold that door open when you were well ahead of the other people coming behind you? Why would you ever think of, of doing some kind of a, an act of kindness? Why would you ever be nice to someone who was just a, a, a kind of a grouchy waitress or waiter or a checkout person that seems to be taking an incredibly long time? You name the situation. Why would we ever consider being nice to them? It's unthinkable. It's the unexpected. It's the undeserved. It's the generous. It's the extravagant love. It's the overwhelming love. And it's overwhelming because it may not have been deserved and it may not have been warranted 
to give someone praise or to give them an extra kindness. It wasn't and neither was it deserved for us. We didn't deserve this grace and love of Jesus Christ. We just didn't. We're not that good. And we struggle. And we make mistakes like J.E. over and over again. But J.E. needed to know, and so do we, who we are. We are children of God who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ. And that transforms us and enables us to do what Christ did for us. To love with a crazy love. An incredible, unexpected love. An overwhelming love. An illogical love. An abundant love. Whether it was deserved or not is not the issue. It's that we do it in honor of what Christ has done for us. These crazy, extravagant, overwhelming things were exactly why the disciples were criticizing this woman who anointed Jesus with this expensive perfume. And Jesus was correcting them in that, saying, you're not looking at this straight. You got to get out of your mind and into mine. Philippians 4, 4 to 8 says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It won't make sense. It It just will not make sense to people. But we know. And then Paul goes on to say then, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Get them into your mind so that they will get into your actions. Dr. Ari Kiev of the Cornell University of Cornell University observed that the moment people decided to concentrate all their energies on a specific objective, they began to surmount the most difficult odds. He concluded the establishment of a goal is the key to successful living. If we have the goal to be of the mind of Christ, that is going to be key. Now I'll finish today with the story, which is going to shock you that I'm actually closing with the story. Harry Houdini was a fascinating guy. If you like these tricks, these magic tricks, they're just learned tricks that they know how to do, and they rehearse them endlessly. He had a problem, Houdini did. You may have not known this. He was was known for being an escape artist. He could get out of any situation, right? So he found himself in a jail cell, And he had promised that he could get that any jail cell he claimed couldn't hold him. And that was until he got into this jail cell. And 30 minutes had gone by and these heavily metal doors had swung shut behind him. After an hour, he was still working with this concealed piece of metal 
There's a shock. There was a concealed thing he had so that he could use it to do, quote, magic, right? No, he used this piece of metal and it wasn't working. And he tried, an hour had passed. And there was something different about this lock. And he was sweating and panting. And finally, after two hours of labor, Houdini collapsed on the floor in frustration and failure. He couldn't figure it out. He had been stumped. He had never been beaten before. All he could do was wait for his ultimate embarrassment. He hung his head in shame. But as he hung his head out of exhaustion and shame, he leaned his head against the door. And all of a sudden, the heavy metal door swung open. The door was never locked. Just closed. The door had been open the entire time. For Houdini, his mind overruled the physical. His mind was locked. That was all it took to keep him from opening the door and walking out of that jail cell. And I want to say this is so true for us. In many ways, we keep trying and trying and trying everything we know to make life work and to make things work out. We keep trying everything we can to convince people that, that we have the right perspective and that we know what we're doing. And it's only at the point where we give up ourselves that Christ can come in and make a difference. Where we finally give up and lean our minds instead of on our efforts, but lean our minds in resignation to God that the door of freedom and joy and love and peace and contentment opens like that cell door and we begin to live in the true mind of Christ. May we attain to that higher ground. May we continue to work. But even more, folks, let's get really, really serious about how we help others because J.E. is not the only one that needs a new revelation of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And so let's work at our freedom and work at our joy to be able to think in the mind of God and begin to open our eyes to see the opportunities we have to minister that grace and that, that freedom for all those around us that are in need. May God grace us with the power and strength to see things with his mind and perspective.